Hello, welcome back to another episode of Crowdwork Cast. My name's Andrew Barnett. Thanks very much for joining me. Uh, got a great episode for you this week. This week, my guest is Michael Adams. Uh, I met Michael a few years ago now when I was a guest on uh, on a podcast that he was one of the hosts of, uh, the Hate Foundation podcast, which was I did it quite a few times. Always a good, fun time hanging out with those guys. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that podcast isn't going anymore. But uh, do not despair. You can still hear Michael Adams, not just on this episode of Crowdworkcast, uh, but he's also the host of one of my absolute favourite podcasts at the moment uh, that I listen to every week, and that is the Rugby League Digest. Now, I will warn you, if you're not into rugby league, there is a bit of rugby league chat this week. Um, but I will say this, please do not... Uh, let that put you off. If you're not a rugby league fan, if you don't know rugby league, uh, please don't just turn this episode off now. Have a listen because I think we talk about rugby league and it's not all rugby league, but we when we do talk about rugby league, I hope that we talk about it in a way that's, that's accessible and that's still entertaining to people who aren't necessarily fans of the game. Um, and, uh, and that's one of the things I love about the way uh, Michael approaches his uh, his podcast is it's very uh, very much fun, accessible, and uh, and a really good listen. And um, his passion for the game is uh, is somewhat infectious. So hopefully you'll get a bit of that. But like I said, it's not all rugby league, but there is some rugby league. Uh, other than that, we do we chat about lots of stuff uh, where uh, Michael grew up. His uh, his day job, which is fascinating, he's a he's a librarian. Um, but a very specific kind of librarian. He's a he's a local history uh, librarian, which uh, you'll hear what that means and uh, what his day entails during the episode. So without preempting everything we chat about, let's just get into it, shall we? This is episode number twenty nine with Michael Adams. So, g'day, buddy. What's your name? Uh, Michael. Michael. Michael Adams. (laughs) A little testy pop on the Michael there. (laughs) Testy pop. I haven't heard that word for about 20 years. I was going to say that. I don't don't know if that's what the kids still call it. uh, I'd hope so. You'd hope some things, you know, last from generation to generation. How old are you? Uh, 36. Yeah, so you're about my age. So, that's very much an of the time (laughs) thing. Oh, man. So, what do you do, Michael? Uh, podcast host on Rugby League for you, fun. You are the uh, you are the host of the Rugby League Digest. That's the one, yeah. That you do with uh, previous guest of this podcast and uh, comedian mate of mine and uh, obviously mate of yours, Andrew Paskin. Mm. And uh, first off, I'm a fan. Oh, good. I enjoy. Good. I really do enjoy that podcast. Um, having uh, it's interesting because like I'm not a um. Historically, been a a massive rugby league guy, um, through no other reason than I just didn't grow up with it uh, mm. in that week to week sort of a thing. Um, so I, uh, but in the last few years, like obviously now, I'm, I'm working over at Fox Sports more, working in the sort of the rugby league uh, on the rugby league shows, and so it's just been like you know there more, and I'm getting into it more and more and more. And the, but your podcast. Is great. I'm particularly a fan of the history corners. Yeah, yeah. That's um. I, I'm a librarian by trade. Um, I work in local history, local history librarian. So um, it, it's kind of my background history. It's like a, an obsession of mine. So 
my other obsession was rugby league. I've just merged the two and <laughs> now that's what I spend all my time doing. A local history librarian. Well, okay, so let's let's go back. Where do you, where exactly do you work? Are you are you able to say do you give the library a plug? Uh, uh I I, I, work, I work in the north council? of Sydney, yeah, for a council. For a council in yeah. one of the um in one of the council libraries. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh and so what it, by local history librarian, how does that uh, make you different to um other sort of library like, well i guess the the big the big one is you know people say oh librarian you must love books and i'll I'll be like well books are fine but they've got nothing to do with my job really yeah that's that's just not what i do like my my job involves books about two percent of the time oh microfiche mostly yeah 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 microfiche <laughs> microfilm all the various micro form <laughs> <laughs> But yes, yeah, so I'll be like fielding like people have inquiries about their house or they want some help with family history or they want to know why that park is named this name and I research that and, and give them answers. I didn't realise that's a um that's a service that the council offers. No one realizes. It's Man, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's I didn't realise before I started working in a library. Like when I was like eighteen, I was like didn't know what I was gonna do and I'm like, Oh, I'll be a librarian. Not knowing like what that was really, and then um, I got sidetracked for about a decade. I was just you know working in bars, working shit jobs, and then I was like, I got to sort my life out. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to be a librarian a while ago. Let's just do that. So I you know got a couple of degrees, and and here I am. But I, I love how you just brushed that aside. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> I just went out, got a couple of degrees. Well, I mean, the first one is one I started in nineteen ninety eight, an arts degree that I. <laughs> Graduated in like 2011, so an arts degree too. That's the way arts <laughs> degree should be done. <laughs> Absolutely, but um, so when I was doing my masters, I thought I'll uh, I'll go to a library and volunteer. That'll give me a head start when I actually um, you know, I'm in a position to get a job as a librarian, in the competitive librarian yeah, market. Yeah. So I went to the library and I said, oh yeah, he'd he'd a volunteer if you've got anything, and and they're like, oh yeah, what what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh. I don't know, what do you got? And they're like... Just mostly shush. People. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, do you like history? And I'm like, oh, it, it's only my favourite thing. And then <laughs> they, they, you know, let me volunteer with the, the local studies team there at Marrickville. Ended up getting a job as a local studies officer there. And then, um, yes, that was five years ago and I've just been working in history ever since. So that was, that was obviously started off in Marrickville. Yeah. yeah. So what's the... Okay. So let's test your uh, test your memory of that. Yeah. What's the what's the craziest thing you remember about local history that people wouldn't rem- wouldn't know about Marrickville? Oh. sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, for something like that. Like, so obviously a lot of people coming in with fa- looking for family histories, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I can't say I found some like you know axe murderer in anyone's background. Um, God. Any weirdly named parks or reserves? Because that always fascinates me. It's like, you know, you drive past essentially what is a corner block that's not big enough to be sold and they've just like it's TJ Hooker Reserve or something Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Well, that's generally going to be like a, an alderman from from the past. Marrickville particularly, there's a lot of like alderman. What's the difference between an alderman and uh, just councillor? So it, it's... There's no practical difference. It was just a change in the Local Government Act in, I think, the early 90s 
when they decided as a part of this reform, aldermen will become councillors. Uh, gender neutrification. Well, I don't. Yeah, maybe. I I didn't I didn't think of it like that, but could be. It is it, alderman is an old school term. Yeah, yeah. So and then you know. Counselor, counselor though does make it seem like you know they're going to give you life advice. Exactly, yeah. So alderman is is a bit more specific. I kind of mm. like it a bit, a bit better. Yeah. Well, you plus you know you don't want chicks in the council. <laughs> <do you? laughs> How's this? When I was at Marrickville, um, the new mayor at the time when I started working there, who's now a state MP, um, I won't name and shame, but. Yeah, anyone who wants to go through the, the history books and see who was mayor of Marrickville in 2013 can work it out. But uh, she just became mayor and she was like quite young, you know, early 30s. And she made us as the local studies team. She didn't come directly to us. This came from her assistant's assistant kind yeah, of yeah. thing. But she made us spend three days going through the, the record books of all the mayors to find out if she was the youngest mayor. Oh wow! And I was so happy that we found someone younger. That that just <laughs> as soon as we found someone younger, it just made my day. And then I saw the press release where she she wrote uh, Marrickville's youngest female mayor. Oh my god! Yeah, dude, that's that's a weird sort of a uh, sociopathic thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a like it's a, it's a weird impulse because like yes. Like, you know, it is impressive to be the youngest. Look, look I'm impressed that you became mayor. Yeah. You know <laughs> that's, what I mean? That's like, enough. That's a, yeah, yeah. That's a qualification. Yeah. That's And, and you know, you've obviously got ambition. That's If that's not where you're going to stop, mm. then then who really cares if you're the yeah. youngest ever? I, I think she might have been trying to to take on that uh, Natasha Stott Despoia corner. Yeah. And, you know, have the, have the Doc Martens and appear on ABC Youth Television, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, just uh, regular on the drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or hack on those. <laughs> yeah, that's um, it's, a, it's an odd... It, and because I suppose... Because you do hear those sort of... those That sort of trivia rolled out about people like, oh, yeah, they're the youngest. Like you'd said, you wouldn't even think... But to think that, oh, that's... Like usually... It would it would I would imagine that that's just something that they happen to know, like and yeah, know, one of their publicity people will happen to know. You don't actually think of them someone going to research that. Yeah, to but find e- out. exactly, you know that. So so where they're at the coal face researching meaningless <laughs> trivia like that. That's that's <laughs> essentially what I do. That is awesome. <laughs> I can't. That is that sounds like a a fun job. I love it. I love it so much. Like every day. Like, um, and the the best thing about it is. I mean, you didn't know that job existed in libraries. No. Most librarians don't know that the job exists or like oh. what I do. So I just get in the morning, get there in the morning and tell my boss, oh, I'm, I'm working on the subdivision posters today and that's kind of good enough for her because she doesn't know what I'm talking about. So every day I'm like, oh, what fun thing am I going to work on today? That's fantastic. Yeah. Lucy, I feel like your job is just to dig up trivia. Yeah, well, pr- pretty much, and and so it ties in nicely with uh, the rugby league thing. You know, it's uh... have you been? Have you, has there been any crossover for you in the work environment? Have yeah, when, to... when I was at Marrickville, obviously we had the Jets, the uh, Newtown, Newtown Jets, Jets that played at Henson Park. So yeah. um, that was one of my big um, projects at Marrickville. Right. On the on the spot, Henson Park. Yep. Go. Okay, so it was an old brick pit. 
Yep. And then um, it was disused in the early 20th century and became just a massive pit filled up with water. Uh, and so it was just like this man-made lake in the middle of Marrickville. Uh, by the 30s, like I think there'd been a couple of drownings. Like, Don't quote <laughs> me on that. But uh, of course there was. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so council was like, okay, well, let, let's turn it into a park. Henson, I believe, was an alderman in keeping with tradition, but uh, I could be wrong about that. Uh, so they turned it into a park. It it opened in the early thirties. I'm a bit rusty on the exact dates. The interesting thing about it is, in the 1938 Empire Games, which is the precursor to the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Henson Park was the the site of the cycling. Oh, really? Yeah. And so you'll see that grandstand, King George V grandstand, that was put up for the Empire Games of 38. The, did, did King George ever make it out? Uh, no. So I think it was the Duke of Edinburgh at the time who came out, but he was there at Henson Park. So, oh, wow. Yeah. In that and the is it, I I'm, I'm not super familiar with Henson Park. Is the velodrome still around the outside? Is it one of those? No, areas? no, no, no. So it it wasn't like a velodrome. It was more just a flat oval, and the bikes mm. would go around. Oh, I I I didn't I sort of I didn't imagine it like the velodrome out here at the the Bankstown one with mm. the real steep. Yeah, things. I just remember playing cricket in Newcastle. Um, there was a guy at the ground called Mitchell Park. Um, named after an alderman, I assume yeah. now. <laughs> but uh, it had it had like a, a, a essentially a velodrome, just a bike track around yeah. the outside, made of concrete, and it was banked, little bank corners, but not like the the steep stuff. But um, I got to tell you, uh, there is nothing more dangerous than uh, running from grass in cricket spikes onto uh, concrete oh, yeah, and, and trying to slow down and, yeah. and reach down and pick up a ball at yeah, the same yeah. time. It is, uh, <laughs> yeah, and not not ideal, especially too you're going from something that if you fall over on it is reasonably soft being grass yeah. onto something much, much harder mm. and middle of summer it's black and yeah. hot. So, um, yeah, so they so it was just more the, the flat part. Yeah, All right, yeah. so go on. When did it become the rugby league? So... The Jets had used a number of ovals up until that point. Uh, Erskineville Oval was the one they used most extensively. They played at Marrickville Oval for a while. Uh, I think they took residence at Henson in 35, 36. Um, again, I'm, I'm a bit out of touch with the dates, but that was like at the start of the Bumper Farrell era. Okay. Um, you familiar with Bumper? I am familiar with Bump- Bumper Farrell, former uh, New South Wales police officer yeah, yeah. slash... Rugby league like, slash man about town. Absolute hard ass. Yeah. But like, um, obviously, the famous rugby league story was him biting uh, Brian McKitchie. Oh, can you edit this out? Because this will be so embarrassing that I, <laughs> I, I, I can't remember his name. <laughs> uh, um, I, 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 the name escapes me now, but um, yeah, Bumper like bit the ear. Off a St George player, off. not not off, you know, just uh, just more did a, did um, some damage, but he ended up getting off because he said, "Well, I don't have any teeth, so my teeth were in the grandstand. So how could I have have bitten down <laughs> down on him?" <laughs> now that was um, that's to uh, at a time when not having any teeth wasn't. Um, something that drew great gasps from other people. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. even realise that teeth weren't a lifelong thing for no, most yeah. of human history. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know when it was that fluoride came into the water, but that was an absolute game changer. <laughs> yeah, well, because then the government could control our minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. There's still um, there's still a couple of uh, areas on the the north coast of New South Wales where there's quite um, large community groups um, who are against the whole fluoride yeah, in the water yeah. thing. Still, it just, I know it's insanity. That baffles me. So. You're now Googling. Uh, I, I have to know. Yeah, that's I, fair I, enough. I have to know. This is you're actually the second um, <laughs> second light. Well, I won't say librarian because the other uh, the other guest I've had on who uh, had a history in library was only ever a library technician. I, I actually listened to that episode and um, it it was great because he summed it up perfectly what a librarian does, the different levels of librarianship. You had a. a the classic uh, lay person's response when when he mentioned you had to get a degree, like you were shocked. Yeah, you, I know. You, you know, everyone is. Um, it's it's actually quite irritating. Well, it's <laughs> it's one of those things too, because when you find out librarians need degrees, you're like, well, what are they like? Because they've got all the books there. Surely, anything they need to know, they can just look up. But there is a degree in knowing where to look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so, yeah, Bill Mc, Bill McCritchie, by the way, Bill McCritchie, yeah. And they and and Bumper Farrell, yeah. Bumper, he was he was at King's Cross. Or yeah, something too, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so uh, a legend in football and in in the police game. I believe what is known as a colourful character. Mm, mm. And isn't that interesting though? That like because I'm I'm a bit fascinated by this. Um, that you see, uh, we have this tendency to believe that we're living in an incredibly violent time. Uh, all the time, so um, that um, it's like you know, people go, "Oh, society, it's so violent now." When in reality, I think we're less violent than we've ever been, and I think rugby league is probably a good example of that. And I had this pointed out to me by um, uh, an uncle of mine who's a, a former uh, police detective himself, and he was talking about how the the culture changed over the years about coppers being able to just basically put their foot in the ass of someone of kids and that sort of stuff and he, he said to me he goes you watch the 1978 grand final mm. he said if you watch that now you'd uh like all those players would have been sent off oh at yeah yeah points. yeah but he goes but that was the way society was and he said and it was accepted he has now it's completely different and he, he had that parallel and his wife actually my auntie told me a story once of seeing him play um, in the police football in the late 70s and um, watching him go on a bit of a run. Uh, but he got a line break and uh, ran for about 15 metres to score a try. And she said um, there was a guy running beside him who um, who was running beside him pretty much the whole time, didn't once try and tackle him, but punched him in the head the whole time. <laughs> like, that's police football. That was yeah. just no attempt at a tackle. <laughs> just kept punching him. <laughs> Couldn't quite, you know. Now, now, if they're not, uh, you know, the shoulder charge is banned. Yeah, and th- that's going to be a generational thing. I, uh, we've seen some sickening incidents in the the years leading up to it being banned, mm. and it's really hard for me as someone who's grown up. It's very aesthetically pleasing to see a, a, a well-executed shoulder charge. Yes. So, so it's hard to accept that that has to come out of the game. Yeah. But the way players are built now, as big and strong as they are, as fast as they are colliding into each other, someone is literally going to die. Yeah. 
And it's it's the reason, like you look at the difference in uh, in cars, for example. It's the reason that the the, the safety requirements for the the Model T Ford, um, you know, which maybe uh, didn't quite go as fast as the Audi uh, A six. Um, it's why they have different requirements because you can be as safe as you want at a certain point, but physics is going to yeah physics is going to play a part and yeah, yeah like you said, bigger players, stronger players running faster into each other. There's just the, the maths at a certain point you can't get, you can't get away from it. Yeah, yeah, and there's still massive hits. Oh yeah, every weekend you see massive legal hits that are I'm sure. Are Doing an equal amount of brain damage, but we yeah. won't we won't get open that hornet's nest. But if you want to see big hits, if you want to see like a violent game, you've got it every weekend. Yeah, so exactly. I just I can't entertain this bring back the biff mentality and the, the game's gone soft. Like what what are you talking about? Yeah, I tell that to tell that to um I'd love to see, you know, the game's gone soft type guys. And it's one of the things you always, oh, you, you hear the, you never saw these wingers that run in and, and you know, annoy, a, annoy um, you know, they'd be getting into a forward. You know, it's like, yeah, but wingers didn't, or wingers and fullbacks weren't the size of Greg Inglis in the yeah, past. Yeah, You know exactly. what I mean? I, I've yeah. got no issue with Greg mm. Inglis standing toe-to-toe with the, the, the prop because he's as big yeah. and as strong as any of them. So mm. he can just run fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the, I mean, I think there are still, uh, and there's something to be said for the pest. Oh, absolutely. I do like to watch a pest. Yeah. Like Mick Ennis. He's, he's great. He was, um, yeah, highly entertaining. (laughs) I could see as a Queenslander, you just hate him or even, you know, as As a a fan of any club he wasn't playing for and he played for basically all of them over the course of his career. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's something to be said for those pests, I I, I, I think, anyway. So back to your day-to-day work, mm. the, the library yeah. stuff. So you do the um, – so basically, so how much of the work is, like, driven from, say, council or, you know, council say we need an, a history on this to keep oh, – Oh, that, that more trickles in. Mm-hmm. That, that'll be like a um, someone in records wants to know if we've got like some council minutes from 1994 and I provide that to them and, you know, various stuff like that. Someone will need to know but, because we, we've got the council archives as well as as library history stuff. So that, that's not a major part of my job but it just it's a constant. Yeah, you obviously know, like, part of it though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then that's going to be critical to... Well, if you're going to know which, uh, like, say they name a reserve after one of the councillors now, at some point someone's going to want to know who that was named yeah. after. So, yeah, you got to keep the record. Yeah. It was interesting. I read, I don't know if you read, um, I read an article uh, yesterday in, in the Atlantic because, um, you know, I'm that kind of guy. <laughs> um, no, it was this interesting article I came across about um, uh, war historians, mm. like the Army's official war historians. Yeah. Um, and this is another job I didn't know exist. They have um, historians that deploy whenever they... Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever they're there. Yeah. And they're collecting in real time for those... To mm. keep those military histories. Yep. Like, um, similar job you do, only, you know, maybe not as dangerous. They're not, <laughs> they're not dealing with as many pensioners. <laughs> so, uh, how, so, family histories, that sort of stuff. How many... Like, is there stuff you just, like, you get the inquiry and you go, oh, come on, there's Ancestry.com, why can't you do this yourself? Or do you ever get... Like, the thing about family history is it's... You, you can't just... You can't do it in an hour. 
So most people are happy to just be shown how to get started and then off they go. Yeah. Um, the, the point it gets a little bit annoying is when they come back to me and, and tell me what they've found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that because I, I know myself, whenever you, if you do find something out, you want to yeah. share it with someone. Mm. Like it's not very, it's an odd person who can just research something for their own edification without sharing it yeah. with anyone else. Yeah, yeah. That's a real, yeah. um, that's a real uh, skill mm. <laughs> um, or an odd personality trait. So yeah, I can imagine as the person, because you're the one who helped them in the first place. Yeah. They feel like you're slightly invested in their quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not particularly, I'm guessing. I'm, I'm invested in them having a successful quest, but what that success entails, that's not really an interest of mine. Yeah. You know? I, I want to know that you've come away from a session able to research your history back to the Battle of Hastings, but I, I don't need to know that your great, 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 great grandfather was a blacksmith in Exeter. Yeah, well, in Exeter, that's where, the, that's where the best blacksmiths were, though, isn't it? That's a, that's a job, I reckon. I, I would have loved to have, like, I, do you ever put, pit yourself in another part of history and think what would your, what would you have been drawn to? Yeah, yeah, and I, I really would have struggled because almost everything involved actually doing things physically. Yeah, and that's not my bag at all. See, I kind of, I would have liked to have been a blacksmith. Mm. I think. Um, because one, I like fire. Um, I'm good at building a fire and I like that, especially the, 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 was it the bellows? Yeah. You run that. But the other thing is, is the other side. And all I know from blacksmithing is literally what I've seen on like, um, you know, movies on, on TV shows like Vikings and that. Yeah. Sort of stuff. Yeah. So there's basically an anvil, a hammer and. Yeah. And yeah. a guy wearing a leather vest with no shirt. Yeah, yeah, it, like yeah. A Cla- classic blacksmith uniform. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's always a big unit. Yeah. And just beating the shit out of a... Mm. Yeah. And to me, that's like, that's like okay, yeah, I can apply brute strength without much thought and thinking, which I gather that's not exactly how it was. I dare say there was a bit of thought that went into what they were doing. But yeah, the the fire and just beating shit out of mm. things. Yeah. To me, that would have been that would have been all right. I would have been better at that than say anything where I actually had to fight myself. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, as much as I'd like to say I can see myself like a blacksmith or something else, butch, like probably would have been like a basket weaver or something like that. I could see you as a monk. Yeah, those, yeah. Because you know, they just got uh, learning to write. And yeah, read. yeah. Actually, yeah. That's that's probably the one, isn't it? Yeah. Did Maybe you, one of the ones that just spend all their day making beer. Oh yes. So are you a are you a home brewer? No, no. And I despise craft beer. Not I don't despise the wow. the, the drink itself. I think it's quite lovely. It's tasty. It's beer. You know, you can't go wrong. But I, I hate talking about beer. You know, you go to a pub and you, and you're with your mates and you're actually like discussing what you're drinking. That, that's all uh, backwards to see, me. For me, the comment is uh, the where um, where I see. I don't mind craft beer, mm. but my for me the discussion is, um, hey, what do you want? Uh, I don't know. I'll try one of those, and then or which one's this? Oh, this is the you know the I'm I'm struggling to with a craft beer name yeah. because there's so many of them mm. too nowadays. Yeah. And then, or what did we have last time? Do you want to try something else? Or, but when people are going, yeah, it's really nice and hoppy. Yeah. Oh my god, uh, I'm I'm convinced. Like 
Hops don't actually exist. I was going to say, they're, they're just... any, I'd love to see anyone who can, anyone who uses the term hoppy, if you can identify what hops look like in the wild, I'll be very surprised. I got stung once. I, I went to a pub and I said, oh, yeah, the, I'll, I'll have one of those. And then uh, they bring it to me. It was in this like goblet. This It was about a foot wide three inches high of the weirdest beer receptacle I've ever seen. And then he's like, oh, yeah, that's that $16. What? Yeah. That. See, that to the price. Um, and this is a, my wife. Um, my wife, her auntie was, um, it's, she's sort of semi-retired now, but was a chief technician for Bogues oh, okay. um, beer. And her thing with the craft beer is she goes, what – most people think of these craft beers is the art's not in the, the making the flavour. The art's in making the consistent flavour mm. over and over and over yeah. and over again. Mm. And she said that's where, like, people confuse, like, you know, craft beers, like, oh, this is small made and it's, it's handcraft. She goes, at a certain point, once they get a flavour, you have to do that in a methodical, very scientific way. Otherwise, it, every batch is yeah, completely yeah. different. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting phenomenon. Like, I like people experimenting, but this idea that it's more art than science—it's mm. just—it is—it's straight up science. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's I. The other thing, the interesting thing about—I don't know—and this might be apocryphal. You might um, have some knowledge being mm. a, uh, a librarian, or you might be able to research it and get back to me. Um, with the IPAs, right? I heard a. Um, Basically, the, I heard the, the history of the IPA is it's in India Pale Ale, and the idea was so on the uh, on the ships on the old ship journeys, um, water was very easily contaminated, and um, so like most of the the streams or whatever, even in England, uh, a lot of like very hard to get actual clean water. So what they do is they uh, they make beer. Beer was. Um, because it'd been through the fermenting process, you knew it was um, clean, it's sterile, more or less, or at least wasn't going to make you sick. And and they're not beer in the necessarily the, the same volume of alcohol that we're talking. Mm. So they'd have beer on the ships, and um, so they'd you know that'd be in, instead of necessarily drinking water, they'd take beer with them. And uh, what the India Palo, India the India trip was a bit longer, so they'd put more hops in it. To as a preservative, otherwise it'd go in the once again in the hot weather and stuff. It'd go yeah. off much quicker, and so that's why the India Pale Ale is the Pale Ale just with more hops. Mm. Not because they thought the hops tasted great yeah, and they yeah. wanted a new thing. It was just literally we need to keep this yeah. preserved. Yeah, yeah. Now I don't know if that's apocryphal. I, or I've, not. I've heard the same thing, and uh, to, to me, it's it's like when people like talk about chopsticks. And they go to an Asian restaurant and they want chopsticks. It's like you've been using a knife and fork all your life. Mm. It's it's a better system, you know. <laughs> you don't need to go back to two sticks when Look you've got you cultural imperialist. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying go to China and demand that they go to this system. I'm saying like chops, uh, knife and fork, better system. Yeah. People are like, oh yeah, we we just love going and camping. So. We've superseded that technology. We've got houses now. You don't need to sleep in tents anymore. I had a whole bit on this in my um, in my last festival show about you know the people that just love nature. Mm. I've got to get back to nature. Yeah. It's like man, like 
it's, all of human evolution has been trying to get away yeah, from nature. Yeah, yeah. Like nature is not mm. great. That, that was my line. It's like, you know what the number one killer in all of human history is? Natural causes. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> nature's not our yeah, friend. No. And, no. That's, and uh, yeah, that's my thing too. Like I'm like, like, don't get me wrong. I like going camping or whatever for a bit, but it's not. It's not uh, a patch on living like in a yeah, house. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, we actually share a river. I, I live a, a bit uh, down the river in uh, Oatley. You're not yep. far from a river here. We're on the same river. In the olden days, I would have got a boat here today, which would have been great. And when we moved to Oatley, I've got like a little, he's almost two now. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be great? That, that like, would be a child was the word you're looking for. What, what did little, I say? You said, I've got a little, you know, he's almost two. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you lost the word. <laughs> yeah, about that high, you know, yeah. feet, hands. Um, but I was like, oh, we've got this river. Wouldn't it be great like going fishing with my son, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the idea is great, but then like having to like put worms on hooks and like if we actually get a fish, I've got to like touch a fish and... Oh, dude. Yeah. It's it's not the touching, it's the then gutting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like scaling, yeah. like yeah, no. It's um like I've I've taken my son's fishing down here at the river mm. and uh never caught anything. So yeah. don't worry about yeah. the uh, <laughs> the hassle of that. But uh did lose two rods the first time we went. They just dropped them in the water. Because oh, they were right. little. They yeah, were like yeah. I think they were three and maybe yeah. five. Mm. And uh yeah, managed to drop rods in the water. Yeah. And, all sorts of, uh, and it is, it's one of those ones. It's because it's one of those ideas. I think, you know, it's one of those stories you want them to be able to tell. You think you want them to be able to tell is, oh, yeah, when we were little and dad would take us fishing. Mm, and yeah, you sort of, but you can't manufacture memories. No, of, yeah. like what you realize is those stories came from guys whose dads loved fishing. Yeah. And took them with you. Whereas I'd imagine you, you take your son to the footy. Uh, so I imagine that'll be the thing yeah. for your son. I hope uh, so. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. oh, you remember you used to go with dad. Yeah, yeah. You get passionate. Yeah. You know, it's a little too emotional if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like my um, my grandfather who's still still going strong. He's like 87 this year. He's like the m- most handy person I've ever met. Like really handy, like always working on stuff with tools and all that sort of stuff. And my dad didn't inherit inherit that. He's not handy. Neither me or my brother are handy. And it seemed to have spent half my childhood at the bottom of a ladder handing him (laughs) tools, just going, oh, my God, this is so tedious. He'd be like, oh, pass us that wrench. I'm like, is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this one? And now I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great if like I could have actually learned from that? And like, I mean, man, but I I think the same thing. But my like, because my old man's quite handy. Um, he'll do stuff around the around the house and whatever. And um, but it, same thing, handed him things. No, that's the wrong one. My old man used to say, and this just became his catchphrase for me: "Is Andrew, you're useless as tits on a bull." <laughs> um, and that was like, and I now I look and I just go. Like he goes, oh, like because my wife's very handy, mm. and so um, she'll um, like he'll talk to her and the, like you know be like, oh yeah, Andrew can't do this, and I I'm, I feel kind of guilty, and then I'm like, wait on, you never actually taught me, <laughs> you just told me that's not the one, that's not the yeah. one, like yeah, yeah. you could have you could have <laughs> taken the time to teach me how to do some of this stuff, but then uh, if you'd have showed an interest, 
Or any kind of aptitude, he probably would have. Any kind of aptitude. Yeah, well, evidently <laughs> I wasn't. I was useless. But, um, oh, no, it's to the point where my wife's dad, uh, who's incredibly, uh, like, he's a ball pump engineer mm. um, and, uh, like, sort of quasi-retired now, but lives on a uh, this block of land in rural Queensland and has his, there's all the different trees he grows and he lives essentially in a shed. Um, he's got a composting toilet, hence we've never stayed. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like that's the one thing like we go out and visit. That's the one <laughs> thing my wife can't handle. She's like, I'm not using his toilet. We have to, we like her brother lives about 25 minutes away in, uh, you know, civilization, and um, well, for Queensland, anyway. <laughs> but um. He, uh, it's the one thing she has to, she pees before we leave her brother. Cause we stay at her brother's place and she pees before we leave and then uh, she will hold on until we get back <laughs> because she does not want to use his composting toilet. Yeah, that's wise. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I've got the same view on that. You and camping is me and plumbing. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, this is a wonder of the modern age. Yeah. Let's yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's, but yeah, he will come now, like, and he's to the point where he, he talks about, like, if he needs something, he goes, Andrew, where do Nat, where does, um, Nat keep her tools? Like, he doesn't even pretend <laughs> that I, like, he's just like, and then like, like, I'll like, you know, he'll be doing something and I'll, I'll say, you know, oh, we want, actually want this. And you go, oh, okay, I'll talk to Nat about that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm dismissed roundly. Well, that's why IKEA is so great. Like I built a table the other day and it makes me like feel like, oh, I, I, I don't know about built. Well, Put together. I built it. You know, I, I didn't, you know, measure out the bits of wood, but, you know, it was in five pieces. I turned it into one piece. That's, yeah. that's yeah, building. Yeah. That's good. You know, so I, I, I get a lift out of doing that and then my wife gets home and she sees we've got a new table. I'm like, aren't I great? I'm so handy. Yeah, oh man, I'm the same. Like I um except uh yeah, my wife does not like she prefer just to do it herself cuz she loves doing all that stuff mm. too. So she's she's like I'll do it. Like yeah. just, I remember sitting watching when we when we were um we first moved in together, we bought this new TV cabinet and uh it turned out like you know my my parents were down and so we bought it and get into the flat packs and putting it together and uh it basically essentially was um, my mum and I sat on the lounge with a glass of wine and watched uh, my wife mm. well then my uh, fiance and my dad um <laughs> put this uh put this TV cabinet together and uh it, then they basically, Andrew's like, look at him sitting over there to comment. And um, they were real smart and feeling good about themselves right up until they went to put the backboard on it. And I noticed they'd, uh, they turned it around the other way because basically um, one side of the backboard was uh, the, you know, the polished, the, you know, the finish yep. that you want on it. But the other side is just basically the, mm. the bare particle board or whatever it, whatever it was. Um, look at me using terms I don't know. Uh, and so they went to put it on so that the, the polish went faced outside. This fella realised oh, that's just going to face the wall and uh, when you look into the TV cabinet through the little glass doors, you're going to see the bare backboard. And I pointed out that I put it on backwards and I've been dining out on that correction. That's <laughs> uh, probably that's a good 10 years ago. Been loving that. So... <laughs> So with the um with the history, so 
What's what's the history then of Michael Adams? What do, where do you, where are your family from? Where do you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Newtown. So I'm I'm you know Hen- in a Westie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like Henson Park, talking about it earlier. That's uh, we used to have our sports carnivals there. Um, when I was, um, I, I'm sure my dad would have taken me to a rugby league game before this. But the first active memory I have of watching a live rugby league game was at Henson Park. Uh, East um, moved there while the um, footy stadium was being built. So I think it would have been about 87. I remember seeing a game there. So spent most of my life in the inner west. What is it with Henson Park? What is the obsession with... um, Because it is the most... It seems to be, to me, the most sentimentally revered ground in Sydney that doesn't have any, um, like it doesn't have any first grade sides playing there. No, no. Um, well, I, I and think, nor really could it at this point. No, in, it couldn't. Um, but I, I, I guess that's the part of the attraction. You know, people love to talk about, you know, the romanticism of Leichhardt Oval, but the reality is it's embarrassing that we're still playing first grade rugby league matches at a, at a ground where you can watch the ground from your lounge room. Yeah. Like that that shouldn't be happening anymore, you know. But Henson Park, because you don't have the first grade games there, you can have this like romantic notion of how it used to be and go watch the Jets play there and it's like it's a great day out watching the Jets at Henson Park. And so, yeah, because it, it, it does. Like I know a few people that really have that and I think it does harken back to that because rugby league, in Sydney was very much like, and I don't want to say it's lost, um, it's lost its dominance on the culture, but it was a very much, uh, it seems to be through the seventies and eighties was, uh, it was part of the suburban identity. Like it was. Yeah. But I mean, you say that, but they were getting like 4,000 people to games, you know? Yeah. yeah well, maybe that's the, maybe that's part of the romanticism. Yeah. Of yeah. The yeah. Past. Yeah. I mean, Probably some of the game, some of the games now they 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 wouldn't mind four thousand. <laughs> you talk to the Roosters, they'd love four thousand paying customers at one of these. Well, the Roosters are actually um, so this. What drives me nuts about the way rugby league is talked about is all you need to do is have a basic cursory look at some figures, and you can see that you're talking utter shit. Like people will say, <laughs> Here we go. People will say, you know, like oh, they've they've got to take. Games back to suburban grounds. They can't play them at big stadiums. Do you know the highest um, at- attendance for Sydney teams this year is the Roosters, who who are averaging about seventeen thousand. The teams at the bottom are the teams like the t- or the Tigers are a terrible team this year. So that's part yeah. of it. But the teams that have the suburban grounds have the lowest figures. You know, it it just doesn't bear out in the numbers. Like Manly, I think are averaging. 11,000 when they play all their games at Brookvale. You, I think that I think you've got to balance at some point though the the atmosphere within a game mm. within a ground. And the thing is like you said like the Roosters averaging 17,000 but that's in a stadium that seats 35. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to hard to um make that feel like a whole lot whereas you put 17,000 at Leichhardt. Oh, it's magic. And, yeah. Yeah. So well, I, could I, you fit 17,000 at Leichhardt? You, yeah, that'd be tight, but not, th- without, I think, not without several like yeah, fire yeah. problems. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> a, that's about the the biggest crowd you'd want there. But mm. um, like my my point is, if you're going to romanticize suburban grounds, turn up to suburban grounds. Yeah, 
Exactly. And look, and people talk about, this, this is one of the big things that people talk about in rugby league too, and like, you know, in, in all sport, game day experience. Mm. Like, as much as when you're standing at the suburban, when you, you're standing at Leichhardt on, on the hill or... Or um, you know, sitting under the uh, sitting under the scoreboard where um, Robbie Farrow might <laughs> spill a drink on you, um, you that there is that there, there's that atmosphere, but it's a pain in the ass to get in it in and out of. It's at a certain point, it's nice to have a seat mm-hmm. at a game. Like yeah. it's like because oh man, they're putting up all these grandstands and yeah. they're, they're taking away the hill. That's where the culture yeah. was. Yeah, look, great. Yeah. But do you really want people, and like you say, in the professional age, taking mm. their eskies and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you know, picnic rugs yeah. to a to a game? Like, I, I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a St George fan, so I'll, any home game at Cogra, I'm there. I'm on the hill. I love it. Like, there's there's no place I'd rather watch rugby league. But I, I have big hopes and dreams for rugby league to outgrow Cogra Oval. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and then look, and I think that yeah, like you say, there's that balance. But yeah, I think too, like I think that there's a lot of, um, and it, I don't know if it's in all sport. I think there probably is. There's a lot of those armchair, um, armchair. Like it's, it seems like not just armchair coaches at the moment in rugby league in particular. There seems to be a lot of uh, armchair like CEOs. Oh, uh, you have listened to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, we we should call it the the armchair CEOs because that's what we spend all our time doing <laughs> is coming up with all the answers. Yeah, the, but it's it's amazing. Like this, this idea that these guys that are you know like there are proper executives running um, rugby league now, mm. but they bump up against guys that know football. Yeah. And it's like at a certain point, like, it, okay, it's a business. There's the one thing you can say for the NFL, um, not particularly sentimental. No. About a lot of yeah, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like you look at the um, the 30 for 30 when the uh, the Colts. Oh, moved. my God. That was so good. Oh. But like, doing it in the brutal. middle of the night, just packing up the team. I know. Like literally overnight. Yeah, that. but that's sort of brutal. And I'm not saying that's exactly what they know. They don't mm. need to be that brutal. But um, that that sort of this tying to emotion and sentimentality um i think sort of sometimes isn't always the best what the most sen- the sentimental decision is always the best business decision yeah yeah but uh, you, you got to have a balance you know like the whole super league war the arl was all like no it's tradition it's like the it's the old teams we can't change it and super league was no it has to be global one team one city all the rest of it and the answer was somewhere in the middle of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Like Super League was just a great concept, but the execution was quite soulless. Well, the irony of Super League was, you know, one team, one city, but then they went and put teams in cities that were like during the Super League era, essentially Newcastle had two teams. Mm, yeah. Um, which you don't need. No. So, yeah, that it was that was a, a baffling time. I've got to say I wasn't really across that because I, I did like and this is back to my not growing up with rugby league so much is my family New South Wales based my old man played league and union growing up um, he's more I've got to say he's more of a union man uh, much to the disgust of your <laughs> podcast um, <laughs> than he is a league man but um, but enjoys both but we grew up I grew up uh, for the most part on the Victorian border mm. um, New South Wales side but 
you might as well be in Victoria because all your television's Victorian. Yeah. All the, and uh, and so we got AFL and uh, nothing else really. Yeah. Like this is why one of my things was I um I hate when people bag State of Origin, um because I don't think um. Rugby league, like heart and soul rugby league fans in New South Wales and Queensland, understand how rugby, how state of origin is the showcase for the rest of the nation. Yeah, yeah. Like we got four games of rugby league. We could guarantee there was four games of rugby league that would be on TV live every year, and it was the three state of origins and the grand final. Yeah. And so as as kids, like that was my rugby league. Mm. That was my taste of rugby. My brother and I would look forward to it so much every year. We'd yeah, just, yeah, and then we'd sit up at night, like yeah. from, even from being young. And, mm. and I just remember, like the the great day, Paul Harrigan, sort of essentially crawling over the try line with two blokes mm-hmm. hanging off him. Just and that that was what we knew of rugby league. Yeah. at that time. And so this way, um, this all this oh man, Origin, we need to get it out. It interrupts the middle of it. no Origin's the showcase. But I I feel. Origin itself has lost some of its luster, and only because New South Wales have been sucking for yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, years. it has to it has to be that tight contest. You can't have one team dominating for too long. Mm. It was the same thing in the early two thousands when New South Wales was dominating. I didn't have a problem with that. I, I didn't either. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, if it's going to work, it has to be the best of the best. Two teams like really evenly matched. Yeah. And furthermore, you you can't sacrifice the season for these three games. There has to be a balance. There has to be a better way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would contend that they're not necessarily sacrificing the season. But they absolutely are if you live and die by that season like I do. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. I, I think there's, they could be smarter with the way they do the draw. Like mm. um, I think this week... The uh, the Cowboys and Melbourne are playing. Yeah, but that's I think that is smart because they're both going to have a lot of players out for Origin. Mm. So well, I think there's nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, as a as a St George fan, we've been lucky the last few years where we always seem to get the Cowboys and Melbourne and these teams during the Origin period, and you get these really soft wins because they've got all their players out. So I think it's better to have the as a Newcastle fan. Um, yeah, I wish I could guarantee that. But even then, we're losing Dane Gagai. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our mm. one our one guaranteed attack. <laughs> you're you're one first grader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what they played in the... Remember they last year they played in the... I think it was the, one of the rounds where they have some heritage and they were wearing high-vis to show the history. Yeah, of the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was like, the people were like, oh, they're wearing high-vis because, you know, that's the show the, the history of the area. I was like, no, they're wearing high-vis so they get comfortable with what they're going to be wearing <laughs> next year when they're no longer footballers. <laughs> like, this is this is transition into your yeah. long-term <laughs> career, champ. Um, my God, that was a terrible jersey. It was. There's been some shockers yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't get that too. Like in, I know I know we're getting rugby league heavy, but this is a general mm. sport thing, and rugby league tends to do it a lot. Um, saw it in the AFL a few years ago with the the Carlton wearing the M and M's, essentially mm. blue jumpers. Yeah, why do they mess with the jumpers? Yeah, yeah. Is that something that's been around? Like as the rugby league historian, is that something that's been around for a long time? Well, that... teams teams have always made changes to their jumpers, but it'd be like 
you change your jumper and then that's your jumper for the next five or ten years. You know, yeah. it's not like week to week, we're gonna wear this, then we're gonna wear this, you know. It's it's gotten out of control. Well it's superhero round. Oh, that that's gotta go. That's what, gotta go. What's the point of that though? Um well there's no point, but what it is is uh one of the jersey makers, ISC, has a deal with Marvel. So any oh. team that has an ISC jersey um Wears the the superhero jerseys, but a lot of league fans don't understand that. So they'll be like, you know, oh, why doesn't my team get a superhero jersey? And it's like, well, because your jersey's not done by ISC. Or they'll be like, why can't we have a Batman jersey? It's like, well, because it's Marvel and Batman's DC. So yeah, that's maybe why, maybe you, know. you can if your team has <laughs> a has a contract with someone else yeah. who gets the licensing yeah. right for DC. Mm. That's um, yeah, it, that baffled me like because yeah i get the the rounds where like um there's a charity or something yeah or there's some sort of fundraising but just straight marketing no yeah and people sucks. buy them people yeah. buy the superhero jerseys. Oh, I, I see them at games and i'm like you simpleton what are you doing in that monstrosity <laughs> like heritage round jersey indigenous round jersey great yep everything else it should just be a home and away, and I don't even mind the. Um, they do the Anzac Day ones. Yeah, it's there's some very ill-conceived Anzac Day jerseys, and because I go for St George and we have the um, the traditional St George versus Roosters uh, game every year, I've I've seen some shockers. The one they've got at the moment, the St George Red V, is made out of poppies, which you know, yeah. okay, oh, it's a lovely idea, you know, poppies, but it looks a bit Hawaiian, doesn't it? It doesn't look Hawaiian. It looks like a bullet hole with like blood spurting out of it, <laughs> which is like not the message you want. Like we want to honor the diggers, but we want to, you know, yeah. keep it sanitized, you know. Yeah, let's not trigger the diggers. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, they're back there in the trench. Yeah. Like it's no good. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I don't I don't know why they mess with the jerseys and the amount this year of teams looking similar. Yeah. Yeah. Is the is ridiculous. Mm. Like yeah, that's um so what is your okay, I mentioned rugby league digest. Um everyone listening to this, especially if you've if you've stuck this far into it with the <laughs> rugby league chat, then you're definitely gonna like the rugby league digest. Um the um the history corners. Mm. I'd I'd contend even if you're not big into um rugby league uh, but it's much like the 30 for 30s on ESPN. Like I, I have that same approach to it doesn't matter what the topic is. It's an interesting story um, when you watch those. And I, I think of the yeah, history corners is very much the same way. There's these quirks of um, of history. Um, a couple I loved was uh, the the American team. Yeah, yeah. That toured. Yeah. Um, that was... These fascinating history parts mm. of rugby league history too that I think a lot of fans maybe don't know. No, they don't. Where the game came. Like. Be- because the the way rugby league is sold and has been sold all my life is three things happened in rugby league. John Sattler broke his jaw, Graham Langlands wore white boots and there was a grand final in 89. <laughs> all my life. They're the three things of rugby league history I ever heard about. And then suddenly you're like, wait, hang on, the game's been going for 100 years. Surely something else must have happened in that time. And you just dig like one layer under the surface and there's just all these like amazing stories and scandals and great players and teams and just you never hear about it. 
That was um that was one of the scandals. Um, I was uh, forgetting the forgetting the player's name that uh, had uh, poisoned. Oh yeah, Bobby Lullum. Yeah, Bobby Lullum. And uh, that that listening to that episode, and there was um, it, it fascinated me that you because because quite a sombre finish to that. Mm. Um, and I won't ruin that for anyone yeah. else. But it does. It's not a happy story, and the way you guys dealt with it in the end, like. Because it does, it sounds like it, it's kind of funny if you deal with it in one way, that story. Yeah. But when you actually get into the, these are real people and it was mm. kind of just a, a bit of a tragic tale. Um, and you ended on a very somber note, but then still went into your little history corner jingle <laughs> um, finish, which is like the saloon music um, <laughs> piano. But uh, geez, that made me laugh when I was listening to it. Because like, you were both like, yeah, really. <laughs> All right, well, that's History Corner. And then the, the, the piano music kicked in. Was it a, a piano or pianola? That yeah, piani. Piani. Yeah. <laughs> that was, um, yeah. So, what's, what do you, if you, um, if you had to have sort of a couple of, so to the uninitiated, there's someone that's stuck this far through mm. the podcast but doesn't, doesn't really know rugby league. Maybe yeah. they're in Melbourne and they're like, bum sniffers. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, the um, yeah, they they don't even know the difference between league and union. No, what would be your favourite rugby league history story to tell? Just to encompass the game and give give people an idea of the like the what the games about, just the characters and the the lunatics that uh, have abounded this game for a hundred years. Oh God, that's um, that's it's really hard to think of one. That, one thing. Just give me a give me a moment. Can yeah, you you're know? right. You're right. Do um. You know, I mean, if it's more than one, it's more than mm. one. But um, like I just, just even great. And this is back to our um, back to what I was saying about how less violent society is. Just the stories about Warren Ryan. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, essentially punching reporters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a, Warren Ryan's a classic. Um, just uh, like just uncompromising. And you had to be so uncompromising in the era he played in, and then he carried that through every step of the way. So for the uninitiated, Warren Ryan, give him a basic. Yeah, yeah. So Warren Ryan, he never really made the big time as a player. He um, started with St. George actually during the era where they were one eleven comps in a row, but couldn't really crack first grade. Had a few years at various places, and then in the early seventies, got into coaching. Eventually. Made made his way up under Roy Masters at Wests in the late seventies, um, and that period working together, I think, set off like a kind of lifelong feud between the two of them. Then he, he this is this is great. <laughs> That's what sports are about: <laughs> lifelong feuds. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I can't remember the story. I think they might have punched on at various points during their time <laughs> coaching together at Wests. Um, Roy Masters, another old school hardhead. Can you imagine that in the mod the, the scandal that would be in any modern sport mm. if you had two coaches getting in an actual fist fight? Yeah, yeah. At training, that'd be like there'd yeah. be HR lawsuits. Yeah. There'd be all sorts of yeah, crazy yeah. stuff going on. Well, um, on, on the next history corner we've got coming up, um, I, I talk a bit about the um, the way the the rugby league board meetings were every Monday night, and it was just this like. Because all the clubs were run by ex-players, and this is you know in the sixties and seventies, so they're all yeah. these like old, you know, like like just real meathead kind of old school like tough guys 
that were elevated into like running clubs. And then so from there, they'd go to NRL or the New South Wales Rugby League as it was at the time, headquarters every Monday night for their weekly meeting. <laughs> but th- they're still just old players at heart. So yeah. there'd just be these like um, like wild arguments. There'd be fist fights in the meetings, they'd, you know. <laughs> like uh, Korean parliament. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, I, I just love the way that – and then at the end of the meetings they would like meet downstairs at the bar and just can on for the rest of the night. You know, it's <laughs> like, all right, yeah, we, we, we fought hard, but, you know, let's shake hands and, and have a few beers together. So they carry that mentality of how they were as players through the way they ran their clubs. Oh, that's – so like Beautiful. the game's just never changed. It, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's because there are still there are still it seems to be, and 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 it, is, it does fascinate me. It, there's an inordinate inordinate amount of um, clubs run by ex players still, mm. or yeah. you know ex players on boards, and yeah, you're like, yeah. okay, that's cool because there's obviously a sense of history. But then you look at the say like because some of the some of the ex players though are very qualified and. Um, you know, uh, quite successful in business and whatever else. Yeah. And then others, you're just like, well, what have you done? It's some of, some of the, the hires over the years have been odd. And then there's this real like uh, fear of outsiders. So like someone will come in with a, you know, background in like banking or something and they'll be like, oh, this bloke's a banker. What does he know? And it's like, well, I'd imagine quite a lot. Yeah, about... he knows how to run a business. <laughs> that's... Um, because that's that's one of the things that that's been fascinating me with all the crap going on at the the Bulldogs. Mm. This idea that Des Hasler, their coach, oh, he's not, but he's not a dog. It's not dog DNA. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, what is what are you talking it, about? It's, in, it's insanity. It's a and professional sports club. How many of these blokes do you think grew up in the area? Yeah, even how many of them even barracked for the the Bulldogs? Yeah, your yeah. captains from Northern England. Yeah, <laughs> like settle down. Um, and going back to Warren Ryan, so. The modern era of Bulldog success, and they've won, let's say they won 84, 5, 8. They've won like six comps since 1980, you know. So they've, they've been a very and perennial finalist in that era. So And that all, I won't say all started because they won a comp before Warren Ryan got there, but the template was built by Warren Ryan when he was coaching the Dogs in the early 80s. And it was a really defensive-minded, just tough style of football um, we, we we mention it every show. The Dogs of War. Yeah, I love the branding too. That's fantastic. 1984. But suddenly, like Dogs of War, that was all Warren Ryan. But it's come to like symbolise the club somehow. Even though they've gone through multiple coaches, multiple like ways of playing. <laughs> like the the game today has nothing to do with how they played in 1984. And if they played that way now, they would have players sin bin and yeah. suspended yeah, regularly. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it's it's one of the I think one of the charms of of sport. Like I love and I I I don't know, we're talking rugby league, but I feel like there's those stories probably in every sport. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I mean I guess that's why I started because I was watching thirty for thirty and I was seeing all these other types of things like that. And going, I want that, but for rugby league. Yeah. And these, so the history corners are they up on YouTube now? Yeah, some of them. Yeah, some of them. Yeah. So let's give a plug to the podcast, mm. and then we're going to wind back. I just wanted to get a little bit more about um, how you ended up in a library. Yeah, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up. But um, so before we do, 
for anyone that's been into this part of the podcast, all the rugby league chat. Yeah. So where can they find the rugby league digest, etc.? Yeah, rugby league digest on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all the usual channels. Um, yeah, give, give it a listen. I won't be like my co-host Andrew Paskin, who uh, prefaces every plug he does for the show with a like tweet saying "hardcore NF- NRL fans only." <laughs> I, I like to think that we can get some reach outside of that demographic. Also, just let people decide if it's for them <laughs> on your own. Like, I don't. I, you know what I love when I when a marketer is judging me yeah. before I try their product. <laughs> It's like if you went into a uh, went into a car yard and they were like, ah, "Sorry, mate, rich pricks only." Yeah, like no, <laughs> it, it, that's there. That is weird. Yeah, like, yeah, I know. I know he is. He's a passionate man about. Yeah, his, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, how, how's this? He um because we did a previous podcast together, and you know, so I got to know him through that, and we'd always talk about rugby league because we're both psychopaths about it. <laughs> he texted me on Christmas Eve. With a text, something along the lines of, how's Bozo's recruitment? <laughs> like Christmas Eve. He is, he's one of those guys too. I, I shoot a text back and forth with him pretty regularly. And he's one of those guys who will answer a text at almost any time of the day or mm. night. Or you, you will get a random text from him. Just like, and like you say, on a, on a <laughs> thing. He's, he obviously has, like he's he's on his own. He's had a thought. Yeah. And, he's, and he goes... Goes through his Rolodex of categorized people. <laughs> Who do I talk rugby league with? Who do I talk comedy with? Who do I talk? And you just get a uh, you get a text out of the blue from him. I actually because he, he's in Thailand at the moment. I sent him a message asking if he had anything uh, he wanted me to ask you, but he hasn't got back to me. So um, all for bigging him up on his actual replying to text. He didn't mm. bother, <laughs> but uh, he's in a foreign country, so I'll give yeah. him a pass on that one. Mm. Um, so with the 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 library, you mentioned you've. So you've been working in libraries for how long now? Uh, about five years. So five years, you're 36. Yeah. There's a, there's a gap between high school and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you did, you spent part of that podcasting. Oh, no. As I've well as been, other things. Yeah, I mean, I was played in a band, you know, that sort of stuff. Really? But, what do you play? Uh, just guitar. Just guitar. I love the way guitar... <laughs> That's a, you know, it's that's what you can tell guys who've played in a band and actually quite capable as compared to, but uh, as compared to guys who um, pick up the acoustic guitar at a party to try and yeah, impress chicks. Yeah, it's like the the guy that that plays in bands is oh just guitar, like because they mm. probably too know guys that are freak musicians. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. music's that sort of. It's like it's like sport where if you play. To a certain level, you think you're good, and then you, pl- if you get just into that next level, and you realize how good the guys that are properly yeah. good are, mm. and you see them, and you go, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's that's different." And I think feel like with music and that sort of stuff, it can be a bit the same. Oh, absolutely. So, what, what yeah. sort of music were you playing? Ah, uh, I was like, I'm really into country music. Oh really? Like, like old country music. Well, like you did the, grow up in the inner west, yeah. <laughs> the heartland of yeah. country. Well, the it? funny thing is, it kind of is now. Like, it's become really hipster like the oh, last really? few years. But uh, I was there from the start, you know. <laughs> so what are we talking, John Williamson? No, 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 no. Like more like you know George Jones, Hank Williams, like all all the old 
Grand Ole Opry stuff and, you know. This is interesting because the other, my John, my other uh, librarian Mm. slash library technician mate, he's also into, he's into, he'll categorise it as alt country. Yeah. So he loves all um, Palace music, Palace Brothers, Mm. which is essentially all um, the same. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The same person release every new album under a different band Mm -hmm. name. Essentially, but yeah, he loves um, he loves all that that yeah. old sort of alt country stuff as well. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, I'm I'm seeing parallels <laughs> between libraries. <laughs> that was and he grew up he grew up sort of a bit further out. He's from Belmore. Yeah. So um, and also a rugby league tragic. Mm. This is uh, yeah. There's a there's a yeah. real country belt <laughs> through the uh, the inner west of New South Wales. Isn't well, it? the funny thing is like so. Like no one in my family is like really into country music or anything like that. Um, so I grew up with traditional, you know, like like listen to what my old man listens to, which I still do. All so the Tears Beatles, Fears. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the classics, Beatles, Stones, the rest of it. Yep. You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, like when I was about eight or nine, I discovered like Poison, Guns and Roses. So I went through that real hair metal yep. phase at the time. So I'm guessing Use Your Illusion 1, Use Your Illusion 2 probably had a bit of an impact on you from uh, from Guns and Roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was listening to Appetite for Destruction. Like, oh, you nice. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I remember taking that into, um, I, thought, I can't remember, it was year three or year four, like we had a day where we were allowed to like bring a tape in and listen to it and, I played that, but then like the teacher made me stop it because of all the swears. <laughs> well, that's um, that's interesting because I think Use Your Illusion, the mm. Use Your Illusion albums were where I um, sort of dis- not discovered, but that's where I became aware and started listening yeah, yeah. to Guns N' Roses and then looped back to yeah. the Appetite for Destruction mm. stuff. I remember um, a mate of mine playing for me... Um, you remember the song "Get in the Ring"? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. That, was, that was the best. Like, <laughs> and we were both you, just like, just so excited. Yeah, how much swearing? Oh, that was so good. Like, if you were thirteen when that song came out, like yeah. that was the ultimate. You know, um, yeah. Like, I, I was like, I, I went to see him at Eastern Creek when they came out in '93. Oh wow! Um, so, so I was like obsessed, obsessed with them and, and that sort of music. I remember, did you have health hustles at school? Health hustles? No. Yeah. I was basically What's just like hustles? a like an aerobic session, mm-hmm. but like um, you'd have an assembly and a different class would be leading the health hustle each week. And um, Yeah, see, I grew up in the country. Oh, we, yeah. We got fresh air. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I remember our class got to do it one year or one week. And so I, I really wanted to um, to do it because I wanted to play this Poison song. So like how it worked was um, the boys got to do one song and the girls got to do one song. So I did a Poison, um, Your Mama Can't Dance and Your Daddy Can't Rock and Roll, which I think oh, was a cover. Like, no golden. One, yeah. Um, but the girls did a Kylie and Jason especially for you. Oh. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah. There's a real tempo jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it works out well, you know. <laughs> but um, but yes, yeah, so I was in the in the height of this hair metal phase, and um, I think it might have been Sleepless in Seattle soundtrack. My dad bought that. Yeah, and I heard this song on it. Um, Tammy Wynette, Stand by Your Man, and um, and for some reason <laughs> it just like it just hit me. And then I remember like one morning... Just picturing you and Meg Ryan <laughs> just standing by. Because that was in the peak of her. Yeah, there yeah, There was yeah. No, no 
just more beautiful woman on earth mm. than Meg Ryan yeah. in the nineties. Yeah, like, just exactly. yeah, amazing. Yeah. She was great. Um, but yeah, I remember one morning, like I snuck downstairs, got this soundtrack out, and just like really low volume, like I like put on Tammy Wynette's "Stand by Your Man," and like I got sprung listening to it. It was like you know. This embarrassing moment. <laughs> I had a moment like that last night. I was watching. Um, I got got home late, and I was just I was watching a uh, couple of episodes of South Park before mm. I went to bed, and they played. Um, they played in it the uh, a song that I'd sort of heard, and I didn't know if they, you know, how they'll do a song and mess with the lyrics. Yeah. Um, but they didn't. They just played the original. Mm. It's um, Peter Gabriel's "The Book of Love." Oh, all right. Have you heard that song? No, no. no you, if you're listening, yeah. Pause now. YouTube it. Mm. It's like you will have heard the tune. And yeah. The thing because you, and undoubtedly you've heard someone walk down the aisle to it. Or yeah, something. right. Yeah. Uh, something similar. You've seen it in soundtracks. Yeah. And I just was like, like, because I, I I got home. I'd had a I'd had a whiskey. I was like, this is. This is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I was like South Park sent yeah. me. On. <laughs> it's like, but it's a really good. Like it's a, a Peter Gabriel obviously can like he brings it when he sings. Oh yeah, like he he's like I'm not to say I don't sit home listening to Peter Gabriel, but he's great. Like any yeah. song, any song I've heard of his, I'm like, wow, this is like a really great song. Yeah. So you know when you you uh, the, and this is this is incredibly I might edit this bit out actually, <laughs> um, but it just you know the song catches you in a moment and you're just like, wow, that's like yeah yeah, and it's because it's really moody the way he mm. sings it and it's like it's yeah it was um so I had that moment. Yeah, yeah. Book. And so I was walking around this morning getting the kids ready for school, humming that. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, how do, I, how do I explain this if anyone's listening to me? Yeah. But I, I wish I, like, leaned into it and realised that I love country music then. Like, it took me another six years or so. Like, I was big, big fan of the Lemonheads. Yep. Still am. And, you know, Evan Dando obviously has a kind of strong country influence. That was from and... the uh, the non-threatening front man uh, era of music in the late 90s. There was uh, what that, do you the... mean by non-threatening? Well, Evan Dando. Those, those yeah. guys, the cardigan wearing, like, they were like very, um, they were the nice guy. Oh, I, I've, I resist that uh, being applied to Evan Dando. Oh really? Yeah, absolutely. Evan Dando's a you, genius. He's any guy, like, any guy that does covers of um, of Simon and Garfunkel, yeah, <laughs> dittiest tune. It always comes back to the mate. Uh, don't Mrs. get me Robinson, you know, I'm, like, a, I'm a Lemonheads fan. Yeah. I like Evan Dando. <laughs> I um, I even, I even almost went and saw him when he was out playing. Oh, I, I did. Yeah, I was, I was there a couple of weeks ago. He's um, yeah, he's still out and about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, he came to my house once. What? Yeah, yeah. How did we not start the podcast <laughs> with this? We're an hour in. What's going on? Yeah, so I um, lived in a share house and um, the bloke I lived with was a drummer, like played, you know, on the scene in Sydney and he threw drumming new Tom Morgan who like from Smudge, great yep. Sydney band. Um, Tom Morgan and Evan Dando are like best friends. Like most of Lemonhead's really? best songs were co-written with Tom Morgan. Um so anytime Evan Dando comes out, he's like hanging out with Tom Morgan, and you know. So any anyway, I'm I'm at I'm at home, and and uh, my mate gets a call from Tom Morgan because um, he's with Evan Dando, and they're looking to score some weed, and um, <laughs> and so my mate's like, oh yeah, come round. So um, I'm like, you know, just hanging out, and then next thing, like into my backyard walks Evan Dando holding his 
Gibson acoustic that like I know this Gibson acoustic so in, some, in full Evan Dan yeah, yeah yeah and like some of my favorite songs of all time were written on this Gibson acoustic and Evan Dando just walks in with with Tom Morgan and then non-threatening mm. though no, yeah, he wasn't threatening. No, he was. It was very nice. No, but know? that was, and that's what I mean. I don't mean to be dismissive, mm. but there was that genre, the, the Empire Records theme. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay, all soundtrack. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, sort of genre of, and yeah. I, I, I liked all that, mm. um, and still do. Like I, I've gone down a um on Pandora. Yeah, um, I've gone down a sort of a nineties rabbit hole mm. uh, recently. And um, like even listening to um, oh, I'm trying now. I'm blanking on the name of the band, uh, Gin Blossoms. Oh, Gin I was going to say hole. Gin Blossoms. I, I, I only know Hey Jealousy, but I love that song. Oh, you, you, I guarantee you know more yeah, songs yeah. than you think you know, yeah. just because you're like, oh, this one. Mm. I remember. And that's that's why I love those streaming services yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You just if you type in a genre and you just that thing you haven't heard in yeah. for years, mm. and that um. Because there's so many songs that like, I, and that's one of the things I love about music is like you hear the song that you haven't heard in years, and immediately you're back to being seventeen and yeah, in your yeah. room, meant mm. to be studying for the HSC, and mm. instead you're screaming, uh, "Yeah, it's great!" Yeah. So, so you got into Evan Dando, Lemonheads. And yeah, and then, and then he like has sort of country influences in his songs, and then he. I saw him wearing a Graham Parsons shirt once and so I started listening to Graham Parsons and then suddenly I was just in, you know, and, and then for the next like five or six years it was just that was all I listened to, you know. So was that what you played in your, when you were playing? Well, your... no, because I, I wanted to. I wanted to be a straight country band but like the songs I wrote were like kind of more country tinged and then the band I was playing with, they were like, you know, our country's fine but let's not play country music <laughs> <laughs> country's fine but take the hat off and because uh, there is really two different uh, two different kinds of country mm. in to my mind anyway and i'm not way across it but there is that big hat belt buckle um almost stadium country and then there's the the smaller and it's more the stuff like i suppose my mate would call alt country yeah which um and like and yeah to me, I quite like a lot of that old country stuff. Mm. Just the the low, uh, low production, I suppose. Yeah. Or um, yeah, maybe that's been unfair, but yeah, it's not that grandstand. Yeah. It's I suppose it's the difference between sort of your grunge or your your um your grunge and your hair metal. Like yeah. One's yeah. big production. Yeah. The others, you know, this is what it is. Yeah, but, but the the big production stuff, some of that's great. Like, like oh yeah. You know, um, of of the modern guys, like it, it kind of Alan Jackson was the last guy that I think is like an actual great country singer. Since then, it, it's just it's too watered down. Not into it. Too watered down. Yeah. Too yeah. too uh, too crossover. Like I mean, I, I like the all country stuff, but I think that has more in common with like just straight like indie rock than it does yeah. with traditional country. Even though the guys. Playing alt rock, probably listen to more traditional country than the pop country guys. Mm. You know. Um, a- anyway, this is like a craft beer discussion. I don't want to like go, go into is... the difference between you know. If like... we didn't, uh, for people that uh, people that weren't into rugby league, <laughs> they've stuck through to hear the difference between alt country and pop country. 
Because <laughs> you forget Taylor Swift was country. Well, yeah, but she never was, you know. Like, that's what I mean. Pop country, like, is just pop. Like, the only difference is it's produced in Nashville, you know. For me, that's the only thing it has in common with country music. Yeah, well, uh, the themes about, uh, you know, uh, I suppose a young country pop star will talk about, you know, getting her daddy's permission more yeah, in a yeah, song than, uh, yeah. than uh, you know, say, mm. hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where they, they speak very rarely about their dads. <laughs> <laughs> more hot dad talk. Uh, but, yeah, so... so um, from the bands, working in pubs, that mm. sort of stuff. Just so you're just kicking around. Like, yeah, just directionless, really. You know, just uh, enjoying my life, um, but in in the wrong way. You know, yeah. Um, as you do in your twenties, or me into my late twenties. You know, <laughs> and then suddenly a certain point, like I think it was 27, and um, I was just like, okay, well, got to, got to get into gear, and you know. Do something, yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, you found the libraries. That's mm. fantastic. So, yeah. two degrees, yeah, bloody hell. That's uh, is that the the minimum qualification? Well, I mean, you could do a straight bachelor degree in you like. There's no degree of librarianship. You do information mm. management. Yeah, you know, um, but it's it's not really offered much that bachelor degree. I think most players places who did have it have got rid of it. So your pathway is basically do an arts degree or any kind of bachelor degree and then do um, – you can do a graduate certificate. But just because of my ego, I was like, I, I want the master's. I want to be a know. master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a great title. Like my, my degree is Master in Information and Knowledge Management. Are you serious? Yeah. Like I, 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 don't, I don't use that last Management. word. It's just Master of Information and Knowledge, you know. That is uh, that is an awesome uh, – yeah, that's an awesome title. Yeah, so is that yeah. your um, your uh, what are they called? Subnominals or postnominals? What's, a, what's uh, a, the what's the letters after your name? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. I, mean, I I guess it's just it's a master of arts in information and knowledge management. So if I was going to yeah, use, if I had a business card, if I was you, it yeah, would be master of information yeah. and knowledge. <laughs> That's fantastic, and that—that's what I'd get people to call you at the library. Yeah, too. yeah. To get the other librarians and you know come in. Oh, someone comes to win the inquiry. Oh, you need to talk to our master of information yeah. and knowledge over there. <laughs> His name's Mick. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, mate. Thank you so much. That's probably gonna um, be about time. But thanks so much for coming. Yeah, no, podcast. thanks for having me. This was great. Uh, is there anything else you want to give a big plug to? Before just, you go? just again, Rugby League Digest. Give us a listen. You know, uh, and there's a Facebook page for Facebook that. page. We uh, try to get a lot of interesting discussions going there. So uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, and if you if you're not massive. Uh, fans of rugby league especially like the week-to-week analysis of the game because you get a whole mix on the podcast um which i recommend give it a listen but if the the whole thing is not for you then definitely go to youtube have yeah, a look at the history yeah. corners because mm. uh they are uh yeah i don't care who you are they're interesting stories. We, we've got some great ones coming up in the weeks to come so well as a, as a fan i'll look forward to those yeah <laughs> cool. all right michael adams all thanks right. very much cheers